Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, welcome to the Driven Celebrities podcast with me, Andy J. Thank you for taking the time to download and listen to us this week. Now, we have three wonderful guests for you this week. I'm genuinely delighted with who we've got to share with you. We have some Hollywood royalty, the glorious Celia Imre. She's been in Bridget Jones, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, Calendar Girls, Mamma Mia, Malevolent. You'll also know her from Absolutely Fabulous, Dinner Ladies, Acorn Antiques. I mean, she's just sensational. Really excited to be chatting to her. Then we have two wonderful musicians for you from Westlife. Mr. Brian McFadden, he talks to us about his life and his career. In actual fact, this week we've got two bonus features for you because our other guest, our final guest of the show, is the sensational Sophie Ellis-Bexter. And we've decided because you've come to us for the pod and because we'd like to try and give you more than we do on the radio show, this week, instead of going long on just one guest, because we try and give you an extra bit of interview from our guests, we are going long with both Brian McFadden and Sophie Ellis-Bexter for you this week. So you'll hear exclusive, never-before-heard content with both of them here on the show this week. So this is the Driven Celebrities Podcast. Please tell your friends about it. Please share, spread the word. We could use all the help we can get, but we're really excited by the people we've got. And uh, if you enjoy this show and you're new, check out some of the people we've got in our back catalogue as well, because there really are some cracking, cracking guests. Anyway, thank you again. Let's dive in. Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey there, welcome to Driven here on Talk Radio with me, Andy J, the show that talks to celebrities and achievers about what drives them. And we have three brilliant celebrities for you today. We have the disco queen herself, the magnificent Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Then we have one of the nation's favourite actors. From Mamma Mia to Absolutely Fabulous, she's been in them all. That's Celia Imre, she's here shortly. But our first guest today is a man who was a huge star in his Westlife days. It's Brian McFadden. Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. He's been one of the most successful singers, one of the members of one of the biggest boy bands the world has ever seen. And when it comes to what he's done in Australia, well, the bucket list is ridiculous. It is, of course, Mr. Brian McFadden. How are you doing, Brian? Hey, pal, how are you today? I'm, you know, I'm really well, thank you. And I do want to get on to the amazing things that you did in Australia, because here in the UK, a lot of us won't have realised just the level of uh, fascination that your career had. But first, let's just talk about you, how you're doing, where you're at. You're singing again, which is a very good thing to hear. Well, to be honest with you, I've never stopped singing. Uh, I've, all I've really done is kind of move around the world and sing in different places. Um, but yes, I, I'm back in the UK. Um, and myself and Keith Duffy have been doing Boys Life now. We've been touring it for nearly four years. Um, so, yeah, it's good to be kind of back back out on the road again in the UK. I mean, it's, it's really refreshing, man, because you did leave, didn't you? You had, a, you had a long spell in Australia and just kind of lived down under for several years. Seven years, actually, in total. I, I had seven years in Australia. I had a couple of years in New York. Then I lived in Australia and then uh, L.A. for a couple of years. So I've been away for a, pretty much a long time. 
um, almost half of my music career, I guess. I mean, when you list it like that, it does beg the question, Brian, why did you come back to the UK? New York and Australia? I mean, what, what's, what's brought you back here? The weather. I miss the weather. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously, I've got all, all my family and friends are here, you know, and I've got two children that live in the UK. Well, one lives in Ireland now, but um, obviously being in Australia, was it was a great time in my life, but obviously it was way too far away um, from my family and friends. So I, I came back. Well done. No regrets? No. I, I, the other thing, I missed other things as well. Like, I missed football, you know. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, when, you, when you're over in Australia and the front the front and backs of all the newspapers are talking about cricket and Australian rules and rugby league, you know, and all I want to see is a bit of Man United and some of the golf, you know, so I kind of missed British sport a lot. I love it. So our rain and our sport has brought you back. Well, that's, that's our game, Brian. Now, Brian, listen, before we go on, there's something I have to bring up with you because I when I found out that you were coming on the show, I was thrilled. And I said to the team here, I said, well, actually, Brian and I have met before. And it's quite a fun story. And it's one that you probably won't remember, but I want to share it with you because it, it has made me laugh over the years many times. OK. And this was, I, I need you to cast your mind back to the Westlife days. And it was, of course, when you were on Record of the Year, on a, which was a, an ITV show. You may not remember these days because it was a long time ago. Let's, let's go approximately hundreds of years. And I was co-hosting that with Kat Dealey. She was the lead host and I was doing some presenting for it as well. Anyway, you and I met in the bar afterwards... <laughs> and it, and it, I, forget, I forget already. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got a little bit heated, Brian, and this is why I needed to share it with you, because I was chatting to Kerry, um, who at the time had just signed to my agent, and it was literally, we were having a conversation. You and I had both had a few drinks, shall we say, <laughs> and you, um, you introduced yourself in a very uh, assertive way <laughs> to see if I was, <laughs> to see what my uh, intentions were towards Kerry. <laughs> towards Kerry, which sharing this with you now makes me laugh. But we did nearly have a fight. Nearly? It's not all. <laughs> I can't say nearly. I, don't, I can barely remember the fights I did have, never mind the ones I nearly had. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so glad it's lasted long in your memory. But it did occur to me that, you know, I, you know, they say you meet everyone twice. So I'm so relieved we've had a chance to meet again. And I can, I'd like to reassure you, like I said at the time, no, I'm absolutely not trying to pull her. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, well, they were good, good times. <laughs> yeah, they're good old days. I don't remember. I don't remember most of that though, because that was a pretty whirlwind time. And and you know, I think when I think back to those Westlife days, like now, obviously in life, you, you know, we do gigs and stuff, but we we don't do as much in in the short space of time. But the six years I was in Westlife, I probably did more in that six years of those kind of award shows and those big nights out than I probably have since I've left. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of strange, and I hear stories all the time about back in the Westlife days, and I I really genuinely forget so much of it because so much happens so quick at such a young age that, you know, I, I do I genuinely forget a lot, and it was only quite recently that I was going through my old storage unit, I found an, an old book that somebody had written about Westlife, and I was reading passages from it, and I was like, I genuinely can't remember any of that, I really don't, I don't know if that's just old age now, but there's so much stuff happened in, in those early days that I just. It's it's like looking from the outside. I mean, I do not remember any of that. I don't remember being there. Like even countries, I, I've said to places, places I've never been. Like I actually said one day in an interview that I'd never been to Russia. And then I actually had fans tweet me going, you were in St. Petersburg twice. And I was like, oh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't even know that. I and, didn't even know that. And Russia's not easy to get into, Brian. So if you've forgotten the oh. amount of paperwork you need to get in there, that's amazing. Well, that's the thing, because back in those days, someone else was doing all the paperwork and we just arrived. So just shows you that, you know, all, all those things that happened many years ago can, can never remember any of it, luckily. 
I mean, that's, you know, that's remarkable, isn't it? Because some of the things that you would have achieved in, in your early days, and we're talking about, you know, late teens, early 20s in your life. This, this is a massively kind of crazy, new, exciting chapter in your life. And you're walking out in front of thousands and thousands of people wherever you go. Everybody knows your name. Everybody knows what you look like and, and pretty much your every movement. And you say most of you've forgotten, but, but there must be some lasting memories. I, I suppose overarching is just how weird the whole thing must have been. I think that's the one thing I always look back and think how strange it was. Um, you know, and as I said, because now when I do things, they're so, you know, the world's a different place now than when I was in the band. You know, if I, if I do a tour, the tour's on and then we'll take a break and we'll go back to normal life and, and settle and relax. And if I'm recording an album, we do it over a long period of time. But back then, everything happened at once. You know, you could be in the studio for eight hours in the day recording a new album and that night you're on Wembley, Wembley Arena. And then the next morning you're on a plane to Germany, you're doing something else. And everything was just constant, constant. There was no breaks. And which kind of made it sad because, you you know, I, I guess my memory wise, I forget a lot of it. And, you know, anything I do now over the last 10 years, I, I remember it because it happens in shorter spaces. But mm. we did so much back then that we first of all, we didn't even know what it was. You know, like things like record of the year. We never even knew the significance of us winning record of the year at the time. <laughs> you know, it wasn't until I was a solo artist and I entered record of the year and I came 10th that I realized, well, it was a pretty big achievement to win it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, there's, there's so much that I, I would love to re-experience that whole six years that I was in Westside. But um, six years doesn't sound like a lot, but it was a lot when you pretty much doing it 365 days a year. You know, and as I said, we we probably done more gigs and did more interviews and did more photo shoots and videos than I did from the rest of my career combined afterwards. Um, so I would love to re-experience it, but in a slower pace and, and 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 take it all in and enjoy it a little bit more. I mean, I suppose that must be part of the the reasoning behind the new band. I mean, I know you say you've you've been together now for for four years, but obviously. I'm assuming the plan, you know, you've just got this brilliant new album. You've been recording with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. You know, is, is that is that the plan now? Are you thinking, do you know what? I'm focusing fully only on music. It's only the band. And actually, I want to be touring again. I want to be on the road. I want to be producing albums and going in for things like Record of the Year and all that sort of stuff. Is is the hunger still there for it? It's The hunger's there. But what we have definitely decided, and Keith and I are completely in agreement on this, is that we are going to enjoy it. And we're not going to let our diary pack up where it gets to a stage we never ever want to do a gig or anything or make an album where this becomes a chore again where it becomes it feels like a job this should never feel like a job this should be this is a privilege to get to to have this as your career and i never ever want to look back and i, and I look at the last days of west like that it was like that it become a chore and i was looking at the schedule going there's no break in there and i'm not enjoying it and and you know there are incredible things that you're actually doing every day but you don't appreciate it and we've decided that no matter what we do we're going to enjoy it so if we're doing a tour all we're doing is a tour. We're not doing anything else, just a tour. So we'll go on stage every night and we'll have fun. We'll come off stage. And, you know, if we want to come off stage and have a few drinks and celebrate and enjoy ourselves, we can do that. And we don't have to worry about being up at 6 a.m. to go on, you know, go on a TV show or go on a radio station that we can just completely take it all in and enjoy it. And the same with the album. You know, we, we wanted to bring the album out when we weren't touring so that we can go and perform the songs and we can actually enjoy having the album out. Um, and, and that's that's a promise we've made to each other that the day it gets back to both of us because he felt like that in Boyzone too because it's a long slog that if it ever got to a stage where we're not appreciating and not loving what we're doing then we're doing something wrong again Do you know that's so interesting because obviously the fact that you were both in these super bands these boy bands that were the biggest things on the planet at the time and, and it sounds like you're both kind of aligned in the sense that it was just totally full on to the point where you weren't enjoying it and like mm. anyone listening to that you kind of go well, yeah, that schedule sounds hellish, but also 
I guess it's it's now after the fact that you realise that that also what you were experiencing was unique, was quite phenomenal. Yeah, and like it's a simple thing, like like you saying about not enjoying it. People would think, how could you not enjoy it? But for example, we were doing ten nights straight in Wembley Arena, and I remember getting to the eighth and thinking to myself, how many more nights have we got to do here? And that's wrong, you know. Most most musicians in the world would dream to just even support an act playing in Wembley Arena, never mind being the headline act for 10 shows. And and that's that's how it had got to that stage where we were doing so much that we weren't appreciating these amazing things that were happening to us. Um, you know, and if I, I would do anything just to play one night in Wembley again. Um, and, I, and that's the one thing that I look back that I, I regret that. I regret that we, we our schedule was so packed that we didn't enjoy it as much as we really should. And we didn't appreciate it as much as we really should have. Does and age, I'll never do that again. Does age play a part as well there, Brian? You know, because, of course, you were young. You know, you we kind of, it's easy now. You know, we've got a few years on us. We've both got kids, etc. It's easy to look back. I mean, we're laughing about how you and I nearly had a fight, at, you know, because we were had a few drinks at a cool a cool event. And it mm. was it was funny. And at the time, that probably was quite a big deal for about five minutes. And then, you know, just you forget it and move on to the next person you might have a fight with. But the point is, you know, I, I probably did. Actually. I probably had another fight that night as well. <laughs> it did go, it did go a bit leery, to be fair. But, you know, I mean, you know, we look back on that and laugh now because we, we've got that sort of understanding of what of what life is. But when you're when you're early 20s, you don't really do you I mean, how, how can you you've got no life experience to draw upon. And in your case, yeah. you know, straight into a band with an instant fame. Well, you also you also kind of think that it's going to last forever. And you also don't really think about the future when you're successful at 20 years old, you're just enjoying it. And you also just think that it's going to constantly, constantly be the same. Every year, you're going to have a successful album every year, you're going to have a successful tour. So you don't really sit there and and think about the future because you don't have kids, you don't have responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess now I'm 40 and, I, and when I'm doing this, there's so many other things, you know, to look at. And it's not even raising kids anymore. Now it's about having to put kids through college. Yeah. You know, I think uh, uh, worrying about what you're going to get them for Christmas is one thing. But when you've got to worry about putting them in college and getting them a house and buying their cars and stuff like that, that's a whole new pressure, especially when you're not at, you know, the heights of your career you were when you were 20, when money just kind of flooded in all the time. So but I think that's a nice thing for me as well. And, and Keith and I appreciate that when we when we do work now, that if we ever do get to that stage where we get a little tired and we get a little fed up what we're doing, we also remember that we're now doing this for other people, not just ourselves. You know, we've got a family who rely on us and we've got kids who, you know, who want to go to college and both of us have two kids. So, you know, it's something that is in the forefront of our mind now. Every time we are getting a little under the weather or we feel like a day is too long, we, we do realise that it's not just about us anymore, that we are carrying a lot of other people with us. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about, you know, the, the title of the show is Driven. It's about what drives people to go on and achieve remarkable things or do extraordinary things, etc. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds to me like some of what is driving you, of course, as well as providing for the family. But some of what is driving you is to re-experience the heyday. Yeah. And but in a way that you can actually appreciate it again. Yeah. Well, one of the things that Keith and I always talk about is we talk about our world tours. We talk about Tours in places like Southeast Asia or South Africa um, or, or the Middle East or South America, these incredible places that you only dream about as a kid. And we've both done maybe five, six, seven tours of these places over the years and never once got to experience any of it. Like we'd literally land in the airport, put into a van, brought to the hotel, hotel to the concert, back to the hotel, back to the airport and gone. And, and people go, you know, what was China like? Or what was Brazil like? And I'm like, I haven't got a clue. They all look the exact same. Every hotel pretty much looks the same. Well, the inside of the van looks the same. 
And once you get in the arena and the lights are off, it's the exact same show. Wow. So it was one thing that we decided, you know, no more of this kind of flying over to a place for two or three days to do two or three gigs. If we're going over to, I don't know, Thailand or something like that, we're staying there for a week and we're going to have three days off and experience the place. Yeah. Um, and we're going to bring our family with us and we're going to bring our friends with us and we're going to share it with everybody and, and, and you know, really look at the things that we, we didn't get to see that were right in front of us the whole time. So what is your, when you wake up in the morning, what is the what is the thing that gets you out of bed now? What is the thing that, that that's motivating you? That it's inspiring you? That's making you want to just attack the day? Normally a tea time. Depends <laughs> what time the golf is. <laughs> if I've got, I, my best days always start if I've got an early golf time. If I'm teeing off at eight o'clock, I will automatically wake up at six and I'll be up and I'll have breakfast and I'll play golf. And once I play my golf in the morning, then the rest of the day I'm buzzed and excited to get going. Um, it's, the, it's the main thing that gets me out of bed in the morning seriously so, so you could yeah. literally schedule your day around golf well I'm supposed to be teeing off in three minutes <laughs> <laughs> I love that Probably you know that as well our technical issues have eaten into my tea time today, unfortunately. <laughs> well, look, let me let me try and be quick then in that case, because I appreciate that you're giving up your your happy place for us. I want I've made a list of some of the things that you did in Australia because you diversified away from singing for a while, and I'm not sure how many UK residents will know about this because you were a te television presenter in Oz, you hosted Football Superstar, you were a judge of Australia's Got Talent, and you also had your own radio show out there. I mean. I didn't have my own radio show. I, I was basically my, my best mate down there, Kyle Sandlins. He's the biggest radio DJ in Australia. Um, and we lived together. But actually, funnily enough, um, we actually lived together in L.A. So we did the show. It was a live breakfast show in Australia, but we did it from L.A. And basically, I would fill in for him every couple of weeks. Whenever he would take a break, he would always like take days off here, days off there. And I was literally almost his full-time replacement. So I would fill in as, as the host whenever he would decide he wanted a week off or a few days off. So... Which is quite funny because we, we were living in a house together in LA and the studio was set up in, in LA, but moving back to the to their other studio in Sydney. So And the great thing was it was a breakfast radio show, but in LA, that was like three o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon. Plenty of time um, for golf first. So that was it. So I, I could be I could be out playing golf and he'd ring me and go, I'm not going on today. I don't feel well. And I'd be like, I have to fly back and, and then host his breakfast show. But yeah, no, I, enjoy, I enjoy doing that. That was a bit of fun. I don't think I'd be up for doing that again, though, if I was living in the country. Because I know Ronan Keaton's a good friend of mine, and he gets up every morning to do breakfast radio. And it just sounds so hectic. Like, he's got to be in bed at 9 o'clock every night. And to me, I just wouldn't be able to manage that, getting up that early and being focused. You know, it takes me a few round of golf before I can do anything. <laughs> um, now, look, we, we do take a keen interest in cars here on the show as well. Now, you're no stranger to going fast. Obviously, I hope you don't mind me bringing it up, but you, you've had a bit of a recent speeding ban in your history, haven't you? I think you, you lost your license for six months. Is that right? Yeah, I did two, was it two years ago or something like that. Yeah, I've had my license back for a year and a bit now, so I lost it for six months. And is that just because you love the thrill of going fast or you just weren't aware of the speed limit at the time? Oh, it was, you know what? They were, they, none of them were like proper speeding on the motorway or something. They were all stupid things like coming out of a gig. My last one was I got done for doing... 39 in a 30 zone and it was about 2 a.m. in the middle of Nottingham so I was coming home from a gig and you know when there's no cars no yeah. traffic and you're just trying to get home and I wasn't even concentrating and I got flashed and, and that was it that was the last job they were all kind of you know doing nine or ten miles over in, in right. certain speeds they weren't it was nothing like 100 miles an hour I wasn't going crazy they add up that's for sure what's your uh, what's they your do. car you know what it's not until you lose your license and which you actually realize how important it is like I since I've got it back now I've been so much more careful because Having six months without being able to get behind the wheel of a car was just was atrocious. Like it really was. Like you just you don't realize, especially living in this country. And I live up north, so 
you know, I got to drive everywhere. There's nowhere walking distance where I live. And, and it's not till the car is taken away from you that you realize how lucky you are to be able to drive in the first place. So yeah. I'll definitely learn from it. Absolutely. What are your wheels of choice, Brian? What do you, what do you drive around these days? Uh, at the moment, I'm driving a Mercedes GLE. It's the SUV version of it. So it's like the yeah. Jeep, Jeep version of the, the GLE. I had the GLE for a couple of years, then I changed to the big one so I can get the golf clubs in the back. Yeah, it's a nice car. It's got a lovely smooth behind as well, hasn't it? That sounds a bit perfect, doesn't it? But you know, what no, I mean? it's that's that's the GLE, that's the regular GLE. I've got the brand new, which is the SUV version of that. So it's ah, even, even bigger. Rare. It's like a big four by four version of that sleepy sport GLE. Oh, nice. Um, an incredible car. I really love it. Yeah, for me, it's see, I do so much long long traveling, you know, and and every journey for me is at least two hours. So you know, the days of kind of having. A coupe or, or any kind of a, a uncomfortable car just doesn't work anymore. I need, I've got a bad back, so I have to be sitting up high, or else my back just I can't even drive. Um, and also, I always have my golf clubs and suitcases and guitars, so I have to have plenty of luggage room too. So, I think the car I have now is, is even though it's definitely a lot more sensible than cars I've had in the past. Yeah, that I remember one time I used, to, I used to have a convertible Ferrari in Australia, and I had to drive around with my golf clubs sticking out the roof, and I just looked like an idiot. <laughs> Looks like an absolute idiot. Was, yeah, but a rich one. So, you know, it yeah. could, could have been worse. Um, well, look, quick quick last one for you. It's a question we ask everyone, and it's just a bit of fun. It's about the dream road trip. So what would you be driving in? Where would you drive? And most importantly, who would be your, your famous faces that you take as passengers? Who would you go on a road okay. trip with? I have decided that my trip is going to be golf-based yep. because I love So it would be across America, and we would basically travel to all of the greatest golf courses in America like Augusta and Medina and Cypress Point and Pebble Beach um, and in that we wouldn't be in a car by the way we're going to be in a tour bus oh, I'm, brilliant I'm of course proper proper luxurious tour bus where they've got like double beds on the back showers <laughs> the whole lot so we'll be traveling in proper style and I will have with me Michael Jordan oh. Tiger Woods Kevin Costner and I have to bring my old buddy Keith Duffy, but he's going to caddy for me. That's amazing. That is a heck of a party bus there. Yeah, Brilliant. that sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm getting excited already. It's not even happening when I'm getting excited. <laughs> and Jordan, I'm guessing the Jordan's there because of the golf, is he? Despite being the basketball legend, he's a well, great golfer. And the same as Kevin Costner. I love Kevin, Kevin Costner as an actor, but obviously Michael Jordan, for me, growing up, he was just the ultimate superstar. You know, if you think back yeah. to the 90s, there was the two biggest stars on the planet were Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and that was that everyone, you'd had a poster of one or the other on your wall or even both in my case. Um, yeah. So he was the biggest star for me growing up and also incredible golfer. So we could have great chats about basketball and about sport, but also have a great game of golf. Kevin Costner is in my all time favorite movie, Tin Cup. Oh, um, and he's also, he's also a great golfer. So we can talk about movies. He can also play golf and then, if you're going to have a game of golf, you have to have the greatest of all time, Tiger Woods. Boom. Fantastic. Fantastic. Brian, you've been great company. It's nice to catch up with you once we're sober. You know, I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Soberish. <laughs> hey, it's good to talk, man. Thanks for talking you to too, us. Bro. And I hope we, we catch up again soon. All the best. Cheers, buddy. See you again. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Driven with Andy J. It's Driven here on Talk Radio with me, Andy J. Now, to say I'm excited about my next guest would be an understatement, probably the understatement of the century. She's mischievous. She has a saucy reputation. She is a rule breaker. She also happens to be an Olivier Award winner, an icon in film and television, and a Lifetime Achievement Award winner. It is the amazing Celia Imre. How are you doing, Celia? 
Hi, Andy. Very good, thank you. What a marvellous introduction. Thank you. <laughs> the first thing I want to talk to you about is Better Things. Now, this is a show that I think is absolutely brilliant. It's an FX show, but it also airs on BBC Two, isn't it, over here? And yes. We're 10 now, o'clock on a Sunday night. That's the one. And we're now into season four. And I'm very mm-hmm. pleased to say that your role, which I love, by the way, you get some of the best lines, incidentally. <laughs> I could be wrong because I've been watching from the start, but I feel like your role has got bigger and bigger. I hope it has. I mean, it's one of those um, parts and in one of those shows that it's never enough for me. Any episode that I'm not in, I tear into and throw in the bin in front of Pamela because actually I want to be in every episode and every single scene. That's how much I love it. And I'm so pleased you do too. It's genuinely, it's it's funny, all the kind of stuff with the teenagers and the kids as they're getting older and how to behave as a parent and and, and grandparent and so on. I kind of get it, you know, I'm kind of Mm. with it. It's sort of, it's funny, but, but kind of raw and on the money. It's a very original idea and it's quite refreshingly told, I think, isn't it? I yeah. mean, sometimes people have said that it's a, it's a bit like a documentary sometimes. And you, <laughs> you know, and you wonder whether we're aware that there's a camera crew around. There are some embarrassing moments and some awkward moments, long pauses, and it's just marvellously daring, I think, in, in its whole concept, don't you? I, I absolutely agree. It's it's such a, it's it's kind of, it's unafraid to just take chances mm. and take risks. And mm. they they often lead to either moments of great comedy, which is which mm. is fantastic, or moments which are really quite poignant, where you're just kind of like, yes. gosh, that's that's quite telling, isn't it? I know. I know. Well, that's, I suppose, the, the, the great art. Because you can't, in a funny sort of way, Shakespeare knew, you can't have one without the other. You've got to have um, the sad and the funny. And if you can join the two back to back it's even better because it sort of takes you by surprise and it just it seems to be getting stronger and stronger Celia am am I Mm. right in assuming that this is going to keep going because of course season four suggests that clearly you know FX and the BBC know there's a a a special audience out there that are loving it I'm I'm working on the assumption this is going to keep going well I'm just so delighted Andy that um suddenly the BBC are putting it out and um people are knowing about it because first of all I think people think I've been on holiday for four years in America <laughs> um and secondly um uh yes season five has been um greenlit Brilliant. um which is um thrilling because it's a tough old competition world out there yeah um but i think uh, pamela adlon the star the writer the director is very well loved in hollywood um and the stars are lining up to be in it i mean i don't know whether you saw the episode with lenny kravitz that i was my first season actually yeah and then sharon stone pops up in season three people absolutely love it when pamela says to them really do you want to be in it they just jump in amazing you know, again, I'm so starstruck. It's absolutely thrilling for me all round. <laughs> well, it must be a two-way street, Celia, because they must be like, oh, my gosh, here we go. I mean, I imagine most of them are wanting some screen time with you, to be fair. Yes, but, you know, it's my sort of introduction to an American audience, really. I mean, I've always felt in my life that you can't really be internationally known until you've courted America. That was my feeling. And I think that, you know, I wasn't known in America particularly at all. I'm terribly proud to be in it, actually, because I do think it's an original. I really do. 
You know, that's that's so nice to hear because I, I genuinely have great affection for this show. It's been in my planner. You know, anyone that, that's kind of new to it, better things. Season four is out now on BBC Two. But but if you haven't caught it from the start, go to iPlayer because seasons one to three mm. are there waiting to be mm. enjoyed and devoured. Uh, of yes. course, people that have got something like Sky TV or whatever, probably the way I found it was via the FX channel. It's just great. It's just funny and engaging and engrossing and heartwarming and tragic. And oh, it's fabulous. I love it. <laughs> I'm so glad, so do I. <laughs> I could go on and on, but, you know, we've got so much to talk about. The other one that, that, that's out uh, is, is a new movie, which, Celia, I watched the trailer for this earlier. It's called Love, Sarah, and mm-hmm. genuinely, I welled up. And I know it's not oh really meant to do that, but I, I guess it just kind of caught me on a certain day. But it's, it's just... Well, it's... funnily enough, somebody else said that to me in that email today. Um, so I'm, I'm not quite sure what the trailer shows. But it does, you're right, it does start off rather grimly. It is heartwarming. And I think it's difficult to, again, with sort of light romantic comedies or however people like to call, um, you know, categorise things. I always think it's a shame that people do. But it's set in Notting Hill. It's set in a bakery. So you'd think, well... What's different? What's marvellous, actually, about Bill Patterson's character says, so what makes your bakery so different? And it's because we have decided to cater for all the different cosmopolitan customers that we have. It's true that the the road that we filmed in, in Notting Hill, is famously cosmopolitan, and there are many, many people from all over the world who live there. And so we in the story, say, well, why don't we make this bakery a home from home in a way and give to people of different nations their cake that will make them feel at home? And that's really it's called uh, around, the, around the world in 80 bakes. What's lovely about it is that you can, there they are all sitting in the bakery having a lovely time just eating and everyone's happy and you just think well I wish the world could be a bit more like that a bit more like a cake shop you can tell from the trailer relationships are really what what kind of bind this film and make it special yeah absolutely and a wonderful cast I, I had a I don't know why I keep having to play grandmother it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous um, but anyway um, Shannon and Shelley and Bill and Rupert they were a wonderful cast well, I, I read a, a recent interview with you where you, you sort of said that you were you didn't want to be getting roles with you know, where it was all about being older and having Alzheimer's and so on, which I mm. c- completely understand. And, and you just referenced the fact that the two things we talked about, you, you know, obviously grandmother is a role, but it's not defined in that way from, from the way I no. watch it. I don't kind of think of your character as, oh, there's grand. Oh, good. You know? No, good. Well, first of all, I'm jumping up and down on a trapeze in Love, Sarah, which is rather thrilling. I think I'm still 26, Andy, actually. Well, that's what too I right. Think. Too, so do I, see. <laughs> and, you know, it's, been, it's been quite a while for me as well. But, I mean, you'd, obviously, you talk about the kind of trapeze in Love, Sarah, not the sort of grandmotherly thing you'd expect. You, you know, you get you get a bit nude in better things. You know, it's... Uh... I know, I know, <laughs> I know. It's Something wonderful. that I really... Something that I really can't bear doing, actually, um, Andy, but Pamela Adlon, the star, the writer, the director of Better Things, knows I will do anything for her. So, <laughs> mm, yes. Well, you, you've got form <laughs> with it, to be fair, Celia. You know, I know. Calendar Girls, know. for example. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's not the first time, and I love you for that. I think it's just brilliant. I mean, I described you at the start as a rule breaker, and that's because uh, certainly, in, in my view, of course, we've we've never met tragically yet, but but this conversation is is changing that. 
but you know, mm-hmm. I would suggest the public do perceive you as this kind of wonderful maverick. I said mischievous as well. You know, you're good. You're, Thank you. You know, you're the kind of you're the fairy godmother. Do you know what I mean? Everyone knows you just kind of go out and make something special happen. Well, that's a lovely way of putting it. I mean, I have a go. That's for sure. I have a go, and I and I don't necessarily play, play by the rules. You're right. I've not seen anything you've done where you play by the rules in terms of your, your you know, your personal <laughs> life and your, the, your character choices, etc. You know, you seem to just go, right, what's going to be the most fun? There was a wonderful play that I watched years and years ago with my dear friend Constance Chapman, who's no longer with us, unfortunately. And one of the characters says to the other character, and I think it's an older, you know, elderly couple, fun, fun, but you don't like fun. Well, I do. I mean, it's what I seek out in my life the whole time, actually, yes. without being too... But yes, I do go for what's, what's going to be the most fun and what's going to be the most challenging, I suppose, is the truth. It's how we stay alive, isn't it? You know, Ooh. otherwise, what's the point? You just kind of go through the motions and every day's the same and, you know... Exactly. Meh. I mean, can I ask you about your time as a singing waitress? Oh, Lord. Yes, you can if you like. Because, <laughs> again... It, it, it was in the Shakespeare Tavern um, uh, by Blackfriars. I don't think it's still there now. Um, and it was me and Anita Dobson, actually, um, in, in the times, you know, in between work. And um, we had to dress up with mob caps on and little um, white blouses and skirts. And we used to have to serve the dinner, which was not very tasteful, um, in... Um, in sort of like buckets, you know, like milkmaids, I suppose we were. And we had to sing. We had to line up in the in the kitchen and come out singing The Lass of Richmond Hill. It was pretty grim, actually. And I think people had paid to eat as much as they liked. So sometimes they were sick all over the table, and I pretended oh, wow. to do with me. Um, and also, sometimes I pulled my flowers down a little bit lower so that I could get extra tips, and did. <laughs> but... It was pretty grim, Andy, to be honest. But, you know, I don't regret any of those times, actually. Well, these are the foundations that make us, aren't they, Celia? You know, that's the the sort of, Mm. you know, if we don't have these wonderful experiences when we're younger, what can we draw upon? Uh, Mm. I've got to ask you, I didn't realise that you you worked alongside Anita Dobson. Did Brian May ever come in? No, no, not then, not then. It was before those days, I think. Mm. (laughs) That would have been quite a fun twist. What a man, though. What a player. God. yeah. Yeah, isn't he? And what hair? Mm. Yeah, we've we've got a, a lot of love for Brian on this show. In actual fact, I was speaking, right. speaking to James May recently, and we we put to put to bed the myth that he and uh, he and Brian are brothers because it's a it's uh. an internet rumor that needs to uh, <laughs> needs to be explored. Celia, <laughs> um, mm. C- am I am I allowed to go a bit further back in into your past and and talk about some of the challenges that you faced? Because I I often find that this is particularly with with actors. This is one of the reasons why greatness follows because of challenges in 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 their kind of adolescence mm-hmm. and, and you were no stranger to, to that you know you 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 had some quite serious challenges with an eating disorder and and you know it, it saw you admitted to hospital and and receiving some quite horrific treatment mm. is, is that a time that that has stayed with you do you feel it has shaped you uh, into who you are these days yes i'm sure it has um the the thing about it um really and truly when I think back is, um, and I've said this before, but I um, I feel sad for my um, darling mother 
um, because of all the worry that I put her through. And actually, I'd love to have that time back again because I'm afraid to say it's, um, you know, whatever I say, Andy, I will get into trouble. But from my point of view, it is something that you initiate yourself, you carry out yourself, and you are the only person that can get yourself better. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to dismiss it because it's a very grim thing to go through. But you have to understand anybody who's suffering from anorexia that I'm afraid you got yourself there and you truly are the only person that can get yourself out of it. But I do believe that life is wonderful and we must live it to the best of our ability, particularly in today's world. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. And actually, there are some people who are very badly ill. It is one of those things that you can cure yourself. Uh, only you can. And and I would urge anybody to understand that. I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying, uh, you know, that it, it isn't a horrible position to find yourself in. But I promise you, you can get yourself out of it. And th- and that's in my experience. People will disagree with me, but I'm just saying what happened to me. Yeah, that's, and that's, and that's I, would, I would encourage any, anybody, you know, that I met to understand that it is in their power to get themselves well. That's all. Gosh, yes, it's. I mean, that's that's very powerful coming from you, Celia, because you, you, of course, have lived it yourself. How how mm. did you get out of it? I was very young, actually. I was in Great Ormond Street. A, na- a staff nurse said to me, "You do realise you're taking up the bed of a really sick child, don't you?" Now, for me, you see, Andy, that was the best thing she could possibly have said, because it it was a real hate to use the word wake-up call, but I mean, it was. It was like being hit on the head with the reality of it all. Um, And so, you know, and it takes time to get yourself well again, but you can. And I'm living proof. That's the other thing. I mean, when I was ill, I didn't really listen to anybody. And possibly if somebody saw me now, they wouldn't believe that I've, you know, been in the situation. But I have, and I'm very proud to be able to live to tell the tale that all is well and you know I'm enjoying every minute of life that I've got left without sounding too dramatic well you're allowed to sound dramatic Celia it's it's in your nature surely <laughs> you know but but I mean it's, it's very powerful to hear you talk about it and and uh goodness me you know it, it's not something I have any experience of but you know, you're, you're, you're kind of acutely aware just as a human being that, that people suffer for multiple reasons and most of it starts with mental well-being. And, and, mm. and, you know, you just sort of hope that if anyone is struggling in whatever capacity, I don't just mean because of an eating disorder or, or whatever it could be, you would, you would hope that, that there are tools in place now for people to know where to go to get help. Call the Samaritans, for example, you know, pick up the phone and speak to people. Yes, yes, of course. I mean, sadly, it's usually the people around you that suffer the most, um, often. Yeah, they, you they, know? they always say that, don't they? The, the, the kind of patient is the one least affected, perversely. Mm. It's, it's the parents, the siblings, mm. the friends, because they're having to watch the person they love go through something that they can't really do a lot about. Well, be self-destructive, actually, is the truth. Mm. But, but anyway, I mean, look, we're all sort of fighting to keep alive right now, aren't we? I mean, what is going on in the world now is not to be minimized. It is worldwide and people are dying. And so, come on, everybody. We've just got to um, make the most of what we've got. 
And it, it's a, a sobering thought, but I mean, there's no time to mess about. You've got to put all your energy into keeping keeping alive now. Yes, you, you, you couldn't be more right. And, and I must say, Celia, it's, it's, uh, I thought we were just going to have a kind of friendly chat about uh, about acting and I know we've gone a bit serious haven't we <laughs> we have but but I love you for it because it, it's so honest and kind and and to hear someone of your significance and stature sort of speak like this I, I hope makes a, a huge difference to people that need to hear it if that makes well, sense well you know I'm 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 only human I mean I'm no different from anyone else but you know there will be some people who will be shouting and saying well you don't understand I do understand actually and I would say the same to um, a young girl as I'm saying to you now. I would. Mm. Yeah, uh, understood. Um, just a slight tangent for you, Celia, because I, I feel we should lighten it a little. <laughs> you know, yeah. Before we go, uh, I'd love. I mean, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but I'm mindful of time as well. Uh, your your mm-hmm. kind of phenomenal back catalogue of. of brilliant films that we've loved forever but i have a random fact about you that i don't know is true or not and i'd just love to Go check on. it with you and and mm-hmm. that is that you are you are not a keen flyer for 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 health reasons mm. that's right i mean uh, um when i go to america to do better things for instance i jump onto the queen mary too which i don't know whether you've ever had any experience with but i can tell you it's the only way to travel <laughs> absolutely love it really? I absolutely love it um, and so, yes, I'd much rather do that than than fly. What is it? That's about. I mean, I have flown. I've flown to India to do the exotic marigold hotel. But if I have another way that I can get anywhere, I will. And I love trains too. It, well, it's such a great way to see the world, isn't it? Just kind of mm. stare out the window or go on the balcony if you're on the exactly. cruise ship and just soak exactly. it all in. Mm. Yeah, it's about it's about a week to get across, isn't it, from from the UK on the, on the um, on roughly, the yeah, six or seven nights yes but it is truly wonderful I, I absolutely love it brilliant you're such an inspiration Celia I, I've got to ask you about movies of course Bridget Jones you know Marigold Hotel Calendar Girls Mamma Mia Malevolent I mean gosh you've been busy haven't you uh, well yes I I have and I'm I'm very lucky and I, I want to keep going it's, it's a difficult time for the industry at the moment because we don't know what's happening but you know, we just got to remain uh, positive, really. But uh, but I love to do anything as different as I possibly can to the last thing I did. That's the only way I can try and steer myself. You know? So is is that how it works for you? Because of course you must get sent. I don't know if it goes if they come direct to you or if they go via agents and so on. If we're if we're led to believe the kind of Hollywood route, but presumably mm-hmm. at some point you get a synopsis or a script for you know from a director that, that that's just desperate to get you in their film. How does that work? Do you, yes. get, do you get them every week? Do you get them every month? Oh, no, Lord, no. Heavens, no. And I still have to do uh, self-tapes, you know. for Really? Uh, Amer- oh, oh, yeah. Come on. Absolutely. No, 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 I do. I truly do, especially for America. Um, but, uh, no, my only, you know, we don't have very much um, opportunity necessarily to choose. But the only thing I would try to do is a, uh, something as different as possible to the last thing I did. If I can. Well, you are doing some amazing work now. We can see you, Celia, in Better Things on the BBC iPlayer and new episodes on BBC Two on a Sunday night. And Love, Sarah is available on streaming platforms now. If you have been affected by what you heard Celia talking about with her experiences with eating disorders, please visit beateatingdisorders.org.uk. That's beateatingdisorders.org.uk.
After the break, my final guest this week had murder on the dance floor. It is Sophie Ellis-Bexter on Driven with me, Andy J. Driven with Andy J. Hey, welcome to Driven Chat. Now, I'm so excited to be able to introduce my next guest, a woman who I have a story about. And that is that when I was working at the London studios, a long, a long distance away, there are long corridors at the London studios. I was hosting a show and I saw this vision down the end of the corridors. And from that moment, I was like, that is the most attractive person I will ever see in my life. And it was Sophie Ellis-Bexter. And here she is now setting... <laughs> Sitting really wow. close to me in the chat bunker. Oh, Genuinely, wow. a 20 year old me, I was absolutely floored. Aww. I was like, my God. Aww. Well, I'm sure your green screen will pick up my, my blushing. <laughs> no, I, was I wasn't going to say it to you. And now I'm doing this intro and I'm like, I've gone at the start. Aww. I'm right in. I was, I was, and I have told everybody I've ever met since then. <laughs> whenever, What's your type? I'm like, Sophie Spectre. <laughs> I've only seen her once from a long distance away, but oh my God. That's actually the best way to see me. <laughs> Once and from really far away. Yeah, you, were, you were looking amazing. I think you were oh. going on CD UK or something like that. It was yeah. one of those. It was the Allen Deck, whichever. Oh, yeah. Those are the days, weren't they? <laughs> Saturday morning tally. Back when we were happy. <laughs> exactly. Life was simple back then. <laughs> now, we've got so much to talk about. Mm. Can we start with... I'm, I mean, I'm going to be, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but my feeling about you and your connection to celebrity prior to lockdown is that you've always been quite aloof. You've always been a celebrity that we haven't necessarily known loads about, which actually has made you even more fascinating. We've known about your work, we've known about your music, but we haven't necessarily known a huge amount about what surrounds you, mm. apart from your famous mum, you know, obviously. <laughs> but that's kind of been it. Then lockdown happens and you throw open the yeah. doors to your here's house. Here's my kitchen. Well, here's my kitchen. Here's all my kids, yeah. which, you know, Google thought was just a rumour to start with. No, you can count them all. There are five boys there, yeah. you know, of all different ages. Mm. And suddenly it was, you've just let us all in. Yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, I think at the first bit of my career, a lot of it was a sort of defence mechanism, really, because I can remember um, saying, you know, I want to keep bits of myself back because then you know, if the career doesn't work out, I haven't kind of shown everything and people are still, on, you know, oh no, we still don't like you. But also there's new things I can talk about if things continue. So I think I said it kind of as a slight joke, really. But actually it turned out to be exactly what happened. And it's funny, isn't it? Because with the lockdown, it just felt like all of that stuff didn't matter. And actually, I didn't really feel like, like I was being a performing singer, me, when I was doing those discos. I felt like I was being everybody in their homes kind of going, this is loopy. Yeah. How can we alleviate the tension? How can we be a bit daft for a minute? You know, it felt more like I was doing a party trick, really. Like, OK, I can sing, so I might as well. But actually, I was really up there more as a kind of mother on lockdown, I think, than a singer. That it makes sense. It was so glorious. <laughs> I mean, you were one of the heroes of lockdown. Obviously, not knocking the NHS. Clearly, clearly <laughs> yeah, they were the funny. heroes, right? Obviously. No, it is all about me. <laughs> was you and, and, and Sir Tom, you know, <laughs> Captain Tom, you know, who, who raised all that amazing money and you lifted all our spirits. Well, that's very kind of you to say so, but really, uh, I didn't, I didn't really, I don't think any anyone on our household would feel like here. I think we just literally wanted a bit of silliness and a bit of joy. And when I did the first kitchen disco, I was pretty sure that people were going to make fun of me and say, whoa, you've like completely lost the plot um, because it did feel really barking. So when we got a nice response, I thought, okay, I want to keep going with this. And it really yeah. made all of us feel good, especially Richard and I, because we had all our diary cleared, like so many people, yeah. from having 
tons of work for this year to having now. Um, and we were really surprised by how doing even a virtual gig like that, it did all the same stuff in our brains of making us feel that same high and satisfaction and also connecting to people like that's so important and yeah. I missed it so much at the start. Yeah, it's, well, it was an absolute tonic. <laughs> and what I love as well is that you, you didn't kind of, you didn't go half in to start with. You went all in. <laughs> you had all the gear going on. Sure. And the other thing is, you know, like I've been a fan of your music for a long time. But you're always suspicious about singers. You always go, can they really sing? Can they do? And until you see someone singing live, you know, you think there's the auto tune and everything <laughs> else. And there you are, just you and basically a karaoke machine, yeah. belting out not just your own hits, but some classics yeah, as yeah. well. I'd literally go on iTunes you, and like look on their karaoke stuff and just download loads of stuff. You can properly so sing. Fun. Oh, thank you. But um, but really, it was it was about having fun. And this, you know, the word you used, tonic, was a word I used a lot too because that's what it felt like. It felt like. Uh, uh, you know, just something that just for a second gave me not just escapism, but a catharsis as well. I'd often use the gigs as a time just to rant about whatever was going on yeah. and what fights and my phone getting broken and everyone needing haircuts and whatever else had been going on. So, But it was also lovely because it was a fabulous insight from from sort of one parent to another, seeing as you know, because you're doing your job. And yes. we've all had this at lockdown as well. I've had to do the show from home sometimes. And we've seen the famous clips of the kind of news reporters with their kids stumbling yeah. in the background. And yeah. there's been a lot of that now. Loads of that. And there you are with, you know, I don't know, boy number three for needing a cuddle or, but I'm sorry, I don't know all their names. So but I, you know, they, 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 they answer to any other names as well. <laughs> so used to me kind of going through the whole list of names. Yeah. But you were like, you know, you were kind of, Complimenting them on their dancing one minute or being their mum the next, yeah, and, you yeah. know, little telling off, mid-lyric, yeah. brilliant. Well, because what you couldn't hear as well is it was very noisy because Richard had done it so that my my microphone went straight into his phone so that he could have it there. But actually, I could hear all of them talking, arguing, I'm hungry, I want to do this, you said <laughs> I could do that, you know, when's this finished? <laughs> so uh, it was very noisy, yeah. And I had to answer them all the time because otherwise it's just too distracting if they keep going, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. That I'm was hungry. Perfect. And literally <laughs> your toughest crowd. I mean, you can now play to anyone, right? You know what, though? I love the fact they were so bored half the time. And, uh, you know, I, nev I never wanted to raise a family of fans. I like the fact they've all got their own thing. And, you know, Kit, my 11 year old, he's so into, you know, watching YouTube and TikTok and all that stuff, like all the kids his age. And um, I used to find it really funny when I go and find him on a Friday afternoon and say, Do you want to come downstairs for the kitchen disco? And he goes, mm, Nah, just when you're done, come make me a cup of tea. And I thought, it's so funny, we're like live streaming something downstairs, but it's so not in his world. He just, it's not relevant. And like, it's, I think it's kind of perfect, really. <laughs> I've loved it. I've loved it. I think it's amazing. And the, and the great thing is, as well, it spawned probably an, an even bigger set of new fans. I mean, you knew you were a household name beforehand and you had a, you know, you're always going to sell out your tours anyway because you're very, very successful. But there's a whole load of people that have gone, oh, isn't she just great? You know what I mean? Because you've always had you've always had kind of a very big following in the gay community, haven't you? You've always yeah. had this kind of great affiliation and a soft spot from the LBGTQ community. They yeah. always think you're fantastic. That's my, they're like the fans that have really made my career what it is, I think, really. Like they've helped me lose my inhibitions and grow and have lots of fun. So yeah, it's close to my heart, that. And now you've got the lockdown army. Everyone's yes. like, <laughs> which is all of us. Well, that's really lovely. But you know what? I think mainly, you know what it's like, you just, I do what I do, and it's. I feel I'm really touched by how much it's meant to people, but also I'm kind of, you know, old enough and wise enough, really. Like, I just want to do the things that work for me, and um, 
you know, it, it felt a bit strange really when you, you do the things you always do. I mean, that, all that, like a lot of those asides and nattering. I do that during my gigs anyway. I like to talk to myself and make what I think are hilarious jokes that no one responds to. I think just normally people can't really hear me or they don't really engage with it. So all that wittering on, I'll still do. And in a couple of years, everybody will be over it. But I'll, st I'll still be doing the same thing. It's brilliant. I can't help myself, really. And you've got a tour, the Kitchen Disco, disco Tour. Yeah. I've already been on the website. I've bought the merch. Ah, I've got all the signed stuff as well. <laughs> yeah, one of our, one of our people at the, at the production company is, is like, properly desperate for a signed photo. I'm like, I can just buy one. Ah, There's, it's on there. You can just do one as well. I mean, the thing <laughs> is, my dad's always joking that it's rarer to get unsigned stuff from my photos. <laughs> so if you find one that's unsigned, preserve it. It's, it's a rarity. <laughs> <laughs> but the tour, I mean, obviously we, we still have to be cautious to telling people to get tickets because it's still, you know, a, a little bit of an uncertainty mm. about venues opening. But presumably you've, you've had a certain number of reassurances from various venues. Because I'm, I'm working on the basis that we, the common people, we, we don't really hear. We just kind of, we're told if a gig is not happening, if we've got tickets. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you're being given assurances that actually this should be okay. You know what? I'm kind of in the same boat as everybody else, really. Um, my, my tour is not happening in the void. There's gigs that have been booked before it, gigs that are coming straight after it. Mm. All these venues are taking the bookings and doing the things they always do to promote stuff. And I think for all of us, we've got to, got to continue with the sort of business as usual unless we hear otherwise, really. Yeah. Um, and we've all learnt now what things look like and feel like when they change shape at the last minute. But that being said, we've also all had everything starting to open up and the seeing progression back into the new normal, the new way of life. So... I think, you know, my, my thing is always onward, you know, if, if the gigs are booked and we do it, I'm fully envisaging being on stage in May. I can't yeah. see why not. However, there's always contingencies because that's what the clever people who book all these things do. So I just turn up and sing. And I'm hoping, you know, no matter what the, is going on in the world and, and in the news, I never take it lightly when people buy tickets to my gig because I know it's a huge undertaking. It's, you know, they're giving up their, their evening out um, not, not least, you know, paying for the tickets and all those things. So my job as a performer and entertainer is to make people feel that they've made the right decision to decide to come and see me. So I always take that quite seriously, to be honest, whether, you know, regardless whether it's a pandemic going on. Family coming on stage with you? God, no. <laughs> <laughs> Will you have the set as the kitchen? Yes. Yeah, Brilliant. The set as the kitchen. And I'll have Richard with me because he plays bass in my band anyway. My husband, but um, does that make you know, him a bit children? Cheaper? No way, can you imagine? <laughs> my goodness, that would be. I mean, I can handle it for like 20 minutes when it's in the playroom at home, but actually on the stage where there's like a drop and real like things they can pull out, no way. That would be brilliant. Be br <laughs> it's great that Richard's in the band as well. Do you get mates' rates for that? <laughs> I hope so. I'm afraid, you know, it sort of goes, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Do you have to talk ultimately? We both does your agent have to talk to his, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I do love working with him. Um, you know, he's the one that basically was suggested doing these gigs at the tour, the kitchen disco that we were doing at home and the tour, because I think he really could see it. I first, when lockdown first started, I thought, ah, this is rubbish. I can't play piano well enough to accompany myself. I'm rubbish on the guitar. I can't can't do the thing I want to do. It was so instinctive to sing, to be honest. But yeah. um, I thought, I can't, I haven't learned enough stuff. I'm not talented enough to actually put things on and he was the one that said why don't we do a gig like the way you do your gigs when you perform on your own so really uh it's been a thing that's very precious to both of us the whole thing so it feels very fitting we're doing it together next year i think it's brilliant so if you've got to say i, I find you absolutely fascinating i find you a, an incredible inspiration and when i look at the things you've done and achieved and also the fact that you're kind of opening up so much in your new podcast as well which i'm really enjoying <laughs> oh, thank you you know I, I sort of feel that you know you're 
I look on you as a fountain of great knowledge now. Oh. I know this sounds like a really Can daft thing. Can you get thing. my children to think of me like that too, please? Well, well <laughs> but, I mean, you, you've got five sons, mm. despite being ridiculously young. You're much younger <laughs> than I am, which makes me incredibly jealous. You've done all these amazing things in your life. And I just, I just kind of feel like, even though you might not feel it, I feel like you've got the answers. Oh, oh no, that's, yeah, please don't put that on my shoulders. I mean, I always say, I've got lots of girlfriends that some of them are actually just having their first babies now. And I always say, I'm not, I'm not an expert, I'm just experienced. And experience does lead you to a lot of things, but it, it doesn't make you an expert actually. And I'm definitely still learning and I'm, I'm learning about all of it actually. I'm still challenging myself with my day job, definitely. You know, I did a, a tour last year with an orchestra and that was really scary and I'd never really done that before. And I think, I think it's really healthy to keep pushing yourself. And I think with the podcast as well, you know, when you do something and you think halfway through, you sort of work out why it is you decided to do this project. And with these, this podcast, speaking to all these amazing women who work in different fields and seem to be achieving loads, but they've also are raising a family. I've, I'm learning, you know, even now in my 40s, I'm understanding how significant it is when people are judged. Mm. It, it just falls away when you start speaking to people. I mean, I don't think many people do feel like they've got all the answers, but I do think there are a lot of people that are just quietly getting on with stuff and We've all got different areas of clarity, you know, things we yeah. feel confident with and all yeah. different bits we feel wobbly about. And I think lockdown has been so much as well about breaking down so many boundaries. I mean, I might be wrong, that maybe this is just my experience of it, but I ended up having conversations with even like the bloke I went to see in the bank when I couldn't get my app to work about how he was finding lockdown and what he was, how he was dealing with his kids and all this stuff. And it felt like all those roles we normally play about the interactions we have, they've sort of fallen away a little bit because a lot of it seems a bit pointless really when everybody's world is tilted yeah. globally yeah that's an enormous thing and the ramifications of that will go on for a long time so no i think i'm just really open to saying the bits i don't feel good about but also i love having conversations about things i do so yeah it's kind of all in there but i'm definitely not a fountain of knowledge well you just you just <laughs> seem very grounded very together you know, a lot of people with the sort of success that you've had would have become very sort of in a sort of bubble of their own self, you know. Uh, well, I don't know, though. I think every career as well, I've had lots of bits where it's been really exciting going up, but I've also had bits where I feel a bit, you know, I've had loads of down bits too. And that's mm. that's all quite normal. But um, no, I think I had a really big failure with my music really early on with my first band when I found myself at age 20, already the other side of a record deal, the other side of a first album. Mm. And I think that really gives you, if that's not gonna ground you, I don't know what will really, because you learn what it feels like when all the hype and all the promise and expectation just just all kind of goes away really. So since then, I've always been really quite excited about the fact that people still wanna to talk to me about what I'm up to. It's not a given, is it? It's no, you're absolutely right. And, <laughs> and actually the older you get, the more you appreciate the yeah. interest. It's like, really? Because there's all these cool young people doing all this yeah, stuff. There's yeah. loads of people. And, you know, you sometimes encouraged to be pitted against each other, too. And I think that's really wrong as well. But I think... Although it was the making of you, to be fair, you were, pit <laughs> you were pitted against Posh and you won. Well, that was a crazy little time as well. You know, that was actually 20 years ago this week. Like, is it? Yeah, it just had its, its anniversary. Um, so yeah, Groove Jet is, is now in its 20s, which is pretty <laughs> as well. You need to have a little party for that. <laughs> I know. Um, well, that was an insane thing because that was the song that I did just after. I'd lost a record deal before that. I was in a band called The Audience. And then um, by the time I was 20, yeah, that had all, all gone south. So then I got this opportunity to sing this dance record. 
Um, and I, it was a real eye opener for me because before that I'd been in indie music and then it was like I was suddenly in this house music scene and yeah. it was really exciting. But then when the whole thing happened with Victoria Beckham single and who was going to be number one, number two, I found it simultaneously quite pantomime and a bit of fun, but also a bit frustrating because I thought if my song ends up being number two, that's still like by far the biggest success I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't really want people feeling sorry for me. Like, oh, well, better luck next time. Like for me, that's still a massive deal. But so. you wore a T-shirt, didn't you, just a few days before? Well, so something like Made in Peckham or something like that. Well, what it? it was is at the time there was a, yeah, a range of T-shirts in Topshop, I think it was, which had different areas of London on it. And I'm, I'd seen this Peckham one and someone had been like, oh, Peckham, like Beckham, that's funny. Yeah. And so I'd gone along to do this Radio 1 roadshow um, in Plymouth on my own, I didn't know anybody I was working with. I didn't have any of my friends or family there. And when I got there, I found out we were number one. So I did the road show and then I got changed into my normal clothes and took all my makeup off. And just before I left, this photographer said, oh, can I take a quick picture of you? And it was before it had been announced that it was number one. So I kind of got out of the car and kind of did this with this Peckham t-shirt on. And Brilliant. then the next day I remember going to the, the corner shop and there was all these papers and had that picture was the one they put on the cover of a lot of papers. <laughs> And I said to the guy behind the counter as I was buying all these papers, like, that's me, actually. And he looked at it and went, I thought it looked like you. But then I thought, nah, it can't be. She lives in Peckham. <laughs> Brilliant. Peckham. Brilliant. Really... Anyway, so it wasn't ever really supposed to be seen, to be honest, that picture. But it got probably more seen than anything else. Yeah. What's it like being on the front page of a newspaper? Mm, quite surreal, really. But also very fleeting. Um, and I've always taken quite a lot of comfort in the fact that, to be honest, the general public's uh, memory for stuff it's quite short-lived and it's only really when it's actually happening that's got any kind of relevance and that goes for pretty much anything I've done I think really? you know even things like Strictly and stuff like that yeah once you're once you're there doing it it's it's as big as whatever the thing is you're doing and then you know a couple of months go by afterwards and it all kind of goes back again which I, I actually find really comforting. Are you good at resetting because there's a there's a lot of people I know I'm I'm guilty of it as well you know you're hosting a show you've got your crew you've got your team and you're, you're kind of full out. It's all out. It's mm. all attention. You must know this from being on tour and various other things. And then it stops. And it's almost like a hangover when it hits you. You know, when you, when you get up the next day mm. and you realise that actually it's, we're not doing this anymore. You know, yeah. this thing that has been our life, flat out, constant exhaustion, and suddenly it stops. Do you, do you get that sort of hangover or, is, or do you not really have time? Because you know, I don't think I've had many, many things in my life that go on for long enough for me to get used to the that being a routine anyway. I mean, my mum jokes that Strictly is the closest I came to like a regular job, which is actually <laughs> right, because since I left school, that's the thing I did, I've done the most. If you look at like, if I had a CV, that'd be the thing we're like, oh, you seem to stay in that job longer than all the other ones. Because yeah. most of my tours are a couple of weeks long and everything's quite sort of bitty really. And I think I thrive on momentum and having things to look forward to, which is probably another reason why I did the, the kitchen discos during lockdown, because it gave me a thing that I was always planning and I don't need very much. I'm quite a simple creature, really. It doesn't need to be like a big, big thing. But as long as I've got something on the horizon, I'm kind of all right. So no, I don't really get that hangover thing because I've usually already built in something somewhere that I can look forward to, mm -hmm. even if it's tiny. <laughs> you've had two, um, and if this isn't right, stop mm. me and we won't, we won't discuss it, but you've had two quite significant things that have happened to you since you finished the kitchen disco. Mm -hmm. One of them, which, you know, the public was absolutely in horror about, was your your face got properly messed up because you went flying off your bike and you ended up in A&E. I did, but actually uh, in, term, in, like, in real terms of what that meant in my real life, I probably got about four or five days worth of sympathy out of that at home. 
and then I was kind of back to normal, really. I did, I, I got away with it, I think. I did whack my head here, um, and I felt really odd for and a few that, days. Is that still the after oh, effect yeah, on your arm as well. as well? But that's quite tiny, isn't it? And then that's weeks was, old, it would have hurt. Yeah, it did. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't recommend landing on your head off a towpath. It does hurt, but mainly I got away with it because the cut that was here, you know, if that had been further down my face, if that had been near my eye, if there had been glass or metal down yeah. there, you know, it could have been awful. I didn't break anything. Um, I mainly just felt a bit daft and then thought, you know, okay, I just need to have a few days of just being in my pyjamas at home and just shuffling around, not doing much. Mm. I watched a lot of A Place in the Sun, which was <laughs> wonderful. Like, honestly, it was idyllic. Just sat there watching daytime early. Um, and then and then it was kind of back to the normal running of the house, really. Damn. <laughs> that's, as, that's as far as I could milk it. You just don't four, get any more day. time. No. Four days of getting tea made for you. That's no, it. And I had such swelling here that there's a character in Ice Age. I don't know what, what the animal's supposed to be, but it's got really far apart eyes. And my kids were just like, oh, my God, you look like that <laughs> character from Ice Age. That's kind of all, all that happened. Thanks. Mm. Just don't let them see ET. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Obviously, it's just oh, yeah, slightly no, that was the other it. one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the other, other thing that happened, and I, I certainly don't mean to make light of this, and like I say, very happy to not discuss it mm -hmm. if you don't want to, but your, your stepdad very sadly passed away. He did, yeah. Quite a nasty battle uh, with cancer. How has that been? Has it been particularly strange because of lockdown or has it just been... No, it's just hard because, he's, you know, we're a very close, loving family and, um, you know, now we've got to start thinking about the next bit of life which doesn't have him in it. And that's, mm. yes, it's definitely a tough time for all of us. And uh, I think that's going to take a really long time to work through, to be honest. It's really recent. It only happened about three weeks ago. So I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible. And it's hard because I'm sort of looking at not just my own sadness, but, you know, the concentric circles that come out from that. And, you know, spending a lot of time with my mum. But actually, if anything, the lockdown thing actually was helpful because it's meant that we were all together. We've all been together a lot. My brother and sister are around. We've all been able to take a lot of time together and I'm, I am grateful to that. But um, actually John, my stepdad, he said a really important thing I think about, you know, because a lot of people do talk about cancer as a battle. But he says that he felt you beat, you beat cancer by the way you live and how you live and what you leave behind. And in, in that way, he, he actually wrote it down in his, his own words. He feels like he won, he beat it. And I think that's a really, I find that a more comforting way to look at it, really. Do you, I mean, when I think about him, I don't think about him as um, a man with cancer. I think about all the stuff that he did and all the, you know, all the imprints of him that are around us and will take forward. Um, that, that's, that's the comfort, really. I'm sure anyone that's been through something similar would probably agree. As soon as, as, soon as someone dies, I find it really hard now to remember him being ill, actually. Yeah, yes, yes, I know exactly It's sort what you of mean. faded. It faded quite quick. And now I just think of lots of other memories. You sort of find, I don't know if this is the case for you, because you can only speak to your own truth, can't you? But, mm. you know, I certainly found when, when I lost someone I was incredibly close to, um, you sort of find that you're now, you're living for a second purpose. And it's almost a sort of, it's almost for them, but not. You know, mm. you're living to keep their spirit true definitely and no, i think that's true and you know you want to be the best version of yourself and take that forward um and we're you know we're a positive family we're a close family um we, you know we we're not shy about talking about emotions or anything like that so there's lots of communication going on but it's just very sad sometimes language is a bit flat actually because mm. i feel like sad is such a little word and it covers so many things but i don't really know a better word really that is what it is it just 
It's just sad. It's a sad yeah. thing. Yeah. I'm really sorry it happened. I mean, it's, you know, it's nothing anyone can say to make anything better. I know. I know. No, I get that. I do get that. And I, and I also know that people go through, I mean, you know, I put a couple of posts up about it, which also feels a bit odd in the first instance, but actually it's also a really significant thing. And sometimes you kind of do want people to know if you're going through something a bit tough. And actually, I've got all these amazing messages back. And, you know, at some point I must go through them again and make sure I've replied to the right ones. But all this outpouring of stories. And there were some people where there were stories and you thought, actually, that is that is tougher because there are people who maybe couldn't be together because of yeah. COVID and couldn't have funerals all together and couldn't fly to be with people. And that is heartbreaking. Yeah. And I am really, really, truly appreciative of the fact we did have that. We were all together in the hospital. We were all together at the funeral. That's... That's really significant. Yes, it is. And that's given us a lot, a lot to take away from that. So yeah, I do, you know, it's actually quite hard sometimes all the stories I got back because there's so much pain in them, a lot of them, and they're very raw. But then I really appreciated people reaching out. So it was it was nice, but but yeah, quite tough reading, let alone for those people going through it. Do you feel that because obviously all those people are sharing with you and, mm. and uh, do you feel that kind of strangers have a have a real closeness? To you, do you feel they, they feel like have an ownership of you because of your persona and because of what you have shared? Um, I suppose it's a communication. I feel I don't know about. I feel like they have more or less than I've sort of invited. Really, it feels mm. kind of it all feels quite nice and and you know I, I like it actually. I think I think probably that's what um, has been really so so important for not just for me but for you know humans in general that we've had so many tools of communication because when when things are taken away from you, like actual proximity to loved ones, that's, that's you know, if you actually stop and think about that for a second, it's mm. quite a big thing to wrap your head around that hanging out with your own parents or someone that's vulnerable, might, you might be the thing that actually makes them get so ill that they die. That's, yeah. you know, that's pretty, pretty stark. But being able to put messages up and talk to people and FaceTime and... You know, I didn't know what Zoom was like you know, a few months ago. Nobody did. Exactly. Nobody um, did. They're the winners of lockdown, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, but they, it does help sometimes, although sometimes I found myself having Zoom chats on things where I think, I don't think we really need to be seeing each other right now. Totally. <laughs> phone calls as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that macabre interest in people's houses as well, oh, isn't Oh, I know. There? But that's quite fun, isn't it? <laughs> it can be. Yeah, yeah, it can be until you realise that they're looking at yours and like, oh, I've Fine. picked the wrong Look background away. here. Yeah. But you've let people in now. That's because you've got your kitchen is open to the world. Definitely but, you know. go for it. Like go, literally, I don't mind at all. I just it, it really just felt like all of that stuff just wasn't relevant. And we are a real house, and you know it is what it is. I don't I don't really mind. It's weird. If it had been out of co context, is significant for everything basically, isn't it? Yeah. All the decisions you make, you need context, and the context of global pandemic meant that I felt that it kept us. On the right side of sanity to do something a little bit insane, I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> are you a are you a dive in first or a think first? Oh, again, context. What are we thinking about? Um, I can be very quick to make decisions. I can be quite quite spontaneous, but I'm all about what makes you sleep well at night as well. So I think gut instinct is probably the thing I ride on most of the time. Just lastly, obviously, Kitchen Disco Tour, disco tour is planned. Disco mm -hmm. Tour. That's your next one. <laughs> yeah, the Disco it's, Tour. It's the, for the dyslexics out there, like I am. <laughs> your Kitchen Disco Tour. Uh, it's going to be amazing. No, I mean, it's going to be brilliant. I can't wait. It should I'm, be really fun. I think it's going to be really brilliant. And then have you started to look into the crystal ball 
Have you started to think, okay, the next adventure after that? Or is well, it... I was already halfway through making a record before this started. So yeah, I want to finish that. Um, that that would be my third album with a guy called Ed Harcourt, who I've done a couple of albums I love with. Ed Harcourt. Ah, cool. Well, yeah, so we've done two albums already. This will be the third one. And His so... solo stuff's really good. Oh, he's an amazing songwriter. Absolutely gorgeous. I've always wondered why he wasn't bigger. Yeah, Sorry, he's... this isn't kind of radio show fun <laughs> now, but like genuinely, he's a real talent. He's a, Yeah, he's an incredibly talented musician and... And a really good friend as well. So um, actually, he's godparent to number three. Yeah. <laughs> so let's hope he's a good role model as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So a tour, then a new album. Beckoning. Yeah, yeah. 2021 yeah. is going to be Just strong. Keep on, really. Yeah. yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. Sophie, thank you so much. Ah, uh, thank you. Brilliant. <laughs> Driven with Andy J. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.